If I love you, I won't insist on having my way. This is the LifeSpring Family Audio Bible, and I'm coming to you from Riverside, California. Podcasting since 2004, I'm your OG Godcaster, Steve Webb. This is the daily podcast where we are reading through the entire Bible in a year. If you've got a prayer request or a praise that you'd like to share with the LifeSpring family, you can do that at prayer.lifespringmedia.com. Today we're going to read 1 Corinthians 7 and 8, and I'm calling the episode, Looking Out for the Other Guy. Let's begin. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 Now, to deal with the matters you wrote about. A man does well not to marry, but because there is so much immorality, every man should have his own wife, and every woman should have her own husband. A man should fulfill his duty as a husband, and a woman should fulfill her duty as a wife, and each should satisfy the other's needs. A wife is not the master of her own body, but her husband is. In the same way, a husband is not the master of his own body, but his wife is. Do not deny yourselves to each other, unless you first agree to do so for a while, in order to spend your time in prayer. But then resume normal marital relations. In this way, you will be kept from giving in to Satan's temptation because of your lack of self-control. I tell you this not as an order, but simply as a permission. Actually, I would prefer that all of you were as I am. But each one has a special gift from God. One person this gift, another one that gift. Now, to the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it would be better for you to continue to live alone as I do. But if you cannot restrain your desires, go ahead and marry. It is better to marry than to burn with passion. For married people I have a command which is not my own, but the Lord's. A wife must not leave her husband. But if she does, she must remain single or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the others I say, I myself, not the Lord, if a Christian man has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she agrees to go on living with him, he must not divorce her. And if a Christian woman is married to a man who is an unbeliever, and he agrees to go on living with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made acceptable to God by being united to his wife and the unbelieving wife is made acceptable to God by being united to her Christian husband. If this were not so, their children would be like pagan children, but as it is, they are acceptable to God. However, if the one who is not a believer wishes to leave the Christian partner, let it be so. In such cases, the Christian partner, whether husband or wife, is free to act. God has called you to live in peace. How can you be sure, Christian wife, that you will not save your husband? Or how can you be sure, Christian husband, that you will not save your wife? Each of you should go on living according to the Lord's gift to you, and as you were when God called you. This is the rule I teach in all the churches. If a circumcised man has accepted God's call, he should not try to remove the marks of circumcision. If an uncircumcised man has accepted God's call, he should not get circumcised. For whether or not a man is circumcised means nothing. What matters is to obey God's commandments. Each of you should remain as you were when you accepted God's call. Were you a slave when God called you? Well, never mind. But if you have a chance to become free, use it. For a slave who has been called by the Lord is the Lord's free person. In the same way, a free person who has been called by Christ is his slave. 
God bought you for a price, so do not become slaves of people. My friends, each of you should remain in fellowship with God in the same condition that you were when you were called. Now concerning what you wrote about unmarried people, I do not have a command from the Lord, but I give my opinion as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is worthy of trust. Considering the present distress, I think it is better for a man to stay as he is. Do you have a wife? Then don't try to get rid of her. Are you unmarried? Then don't look for a wife. But if you do marry, you haven't committed a sin. And if an unmarried woman marries, she hasn't committed a sin. But I would rather spare you the everyday troubles that married people will have. What I mean, my friends, is this. There is not much time left, and from now on, married people should live as though they were not married. Those who weep as though they were not sad. Those who laugh as though they were not happy. Those who buy as though they did not own what they bought. Those who deal in material goods as though they were not fully occupied with them. For this world, as it is now, will not last much longer. I would like you to be free from worry. An unmarried man concerns himself with the Lord's work because he is trying to please the Lord. But a married man concerns himself with worldly matters because he wants to please his wife, and so he is pulled in two directions. An unmarried woman or a virgin concerns herself with the Lord's work because she wants to be dedicated both in body and spirit. But a married woman concerns herself with worldly matters because she wants to please her husband. I'm saying this because I want to help you. I'm not trying to put restrictions on you. Instead, I want you to do what is right and proper and to give yourselves completely to the Lord's service without any reservation. In the case of an engaged couple who have decided not to marry, if the man feels that he is not acting properly toward the young woman and if his passions are too strong and he feels that they ought to marry, then they should get married as he wants to. There is no sin in this. But if a man, without being forced to do so, has firmly made up his mind not to marry, and if he still has his will under complete control, and has already decided in his own mind what to do, then he does well not to marry the young woman. So the man who marries does well, but the one who doesn't marry does even better. A married woman is not free as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, then she is free to be married to any man she wishes but only if he is a Christian. She will be happier, however, if she stays as she is. That is my opinion, and I think that I too have God's Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 Now concerning what you wrote about food offered to idols, it is true, of course, that all of us have knowledge, as they say. Such knowledge, however, puffs a person up with pride, but love builds up. Those who think they know something really don't know as they ought to know. But the person who loves God is known by him. So then, about eating the food offered to idols? We know that an idol stands for something that does not really exist. We know that there is only the one God. Even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, and even though there are many of these gods and lords, yet there is for us only one God, the Father, who is the creator of all things and for whom we live. And there is only one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created, and through whom we live. But not everyone knows this truth. Some people have been so used to idols that to this day when they eat such food, they still think of it as food that belongs to an idol. Their conscience is weak, and they feel they are defiled by the food. 
Food, however, will not improve our relation with God. We shall not lose anything if we do not eat, nor shall we gain anything if we do eat. Be careful, however, not to let your freedom of action make those who are weak in the faith fall into sin. Suppose a person whose conscience is weak in this matter sees you who have so-called knowledge eating in the temple of an idol. Will not this encourage him to eat food offered to idols? And so this weak person, your brother for whom Christ died, will perish because of your knowledge. And in this way, you will be sinning against Christ by sinning against other Christians and wounding their weak conscience. So then, if food makes a believer sin, I will never eat meat again, so as not to make a believer fall into sin. Today I've got thoughts on both chapters 7 and 8. Let's quickly take a look at a couple of different points from chapter 7. These are things that cause some people to wonder what Paul meant, so maybe I can clear them up for you. Let's first tackle the parts where Paul says he's expressing his opinion. Does that mean that we can discount what he says if we don't like what we hear? No. Those parts don't somehow become the uninspired Word of God. If they did, then they would not have been included in the Bible. What Paul was saying was that there were no scriptures yet in existence that dealt with that issue, so he wasn't able to quote any verses to support what he was teaching here. But if you look at how he ended the chapter, he was declaring that he was led by the Holy Spirit. When he says, I think that I too have God's Spirit, he was not expressing doubt. In the language of the day, he was saying, I am convinced that I have God's Spirit. And since that's true, his teaching on the subject is from God. Now, the next thing that causes some difficulty for many people is where Paul mentions that the unbelieving spouse is made acceptable to God by the believing spouse. Some people mistakenly think that this means that an unbelieving husband or wife gets a free pass to heaven because they're married to a believing spouse, or the children of a believer get a free pass. Of course, that's not true. Each person must accept Christ on their own. There are no coattails upon which you can ride to heaven. And if you look at the passage again, you'll see that Paul was talking about divorce. He was saying that if the unbeliever agrees to live with a believer, then their marriage will be recognized by God as a holy, valid marriage. They don't need to be divorced, in other words, just because they are not both believers. And since their marriage is acceptable to God, then their children are not deemed as illegitimate as they would be if their parents were unmarried. Paul goes on to say that God has called you to live in peace. Of course, he doesn't want lives to be turned upside down by divorce over this. And in staying together, the unbelieving spouse might be convinced of the reality of God's love by the loving example of the believing spouse, and therefore be brought to the cross of Christ. Obviously, that's never a guaranteed thing. So if you're not married yet, and you're thinking about marrying someone who is not a believer— this is something that Paul calls being unequally yoked, and an unequally yoked marriage is sometimes a very difficult thing to sustain. So, my advice is, if you're a Christian, be sure you marry a Christian person. That makes life so much better. All right, let's move on to chapter 8. In this chapter, Paul talks to the Corinthian church about food offered to idols and whether a believer should eat it. This seems a little strange to us today, but in Greece, in which the city of Corinth is, the worship of many different gods and idols was common. We talked about this before. And often, certain foods were sacrificed to these idols before it made its way to the marketplace to be sold. 
So the question for some in the church of Corinth was whether or not this food should be eaten. Some felt that food offered to idols was tainted or unclean. Certainly the Jews who were there avoided it for this very reason. Paul's teaching on this was surprising to those who thought they should not eat this meat. He said, Look, idols are nothing. They aren't gods. They're just inanimate objects. So eating food offered to them will not separate you from God. Paul wrote, Food will not improve our relation with God. We shall not lose anything if we do not eat, nor shall we gain anything if we do eat. But Paul didn't leave the subject there. There's more to it than just eating food. Some of the believers in the church in Corinth had previously been idol worshipers. They had participated in offering meat to these false idols. And because of this, they felt that the meat was defiled. So, instead of forcing them to violate their consciences, Paul said that believers who would otherwise not have a problem with this meat should not eat it if doing so would cause one of these other brothers or sisters to stumble. Because for these who had been idol worshippers, it was a sin since it went against their conscience. Beloved, personal freedom is a gift of grace. But if your freedom causes someone to violate their conscience, thus causing them to sin, then you too have sinned. It's really all about love, beloved. If I love you, I won't insist on having my way. What do you think? Comment on the show notes page at lifespringmedia.com s12e83. Or you can email me at steve at lifespringmedia.com or comment at comment.lifespringmedia.com. So many choices. Our reading tomorrow will be Genesis 44 through 47. Boost! Hey, today's a good day to donate to the show, beloved. If you enjoy the show, decide what value it brings to your life. And then I want you to put a number on that and send it to me at lifespringmedia.com support. That's called Value for Value, and it's the only way this works. I won't have advertisers on the show because advertising is censorship, and God's Word cannot be censored, at least not here. lifespringmedia.com support. Thank you, and God bless you. On this date in church history, November 21st, 1948, the Sunday morning religious program Lamp Unto My Feet debuted on CBS television. It became one of TV's longest-running network shows, airing through January of 1979. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, what a wonderful day to worship you. Of course, that's true of every day, but Sunday is the day that most Christians set aside specifically to lift up your name, which we do now. I pray for believers around the world who are gathering today that they would grow closer to you and each other. I pray that they would love you more and that their love for one another would grow. And I pray for the LifeSpring family, and I thank you again for each one. As they go through their day today, I ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to their heart. Help them to feel your presence, Lord. Lead them today, Father, and help them to follow you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, don't hide this show under a bushel. If you like the show, go to reviews.lifespringmedia.com and leave a review. Write about why you listen to the show, what you like about it, maybe what you don't like about it, what you get out of it. Help others to know why they should listen.
reviews.lifespringmedia.com. If you've got one of the new Podcasting 2.0 compliant podcast apps, you've probably noticed that the artwork for each show is different. I could use help creating some of that art. For more information on that, go on over to lifespringmedia.com art. I'll give you credit on the show for any artwork that I use, and I'll put your name on the show notes page for that episode. How cool would that be to see some of your work on that podcast app that's in your hand right now? Come on, lifespringmedia.com art. And that's going to do it for the day. Until tomorrow, may God bless you richly. Thank you for being here. I'm Steve Webb. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Bye. <laughs>